Um, If you've been with us this summer, we're going through the spiritual disciplines. And the last several weeks, we have been doing and covering disciplines related to God's Word. We've been uh, focusing on reading God's Word. We've been focusing on meditating on God's Word. And last week, we focused on memorizing God's Word. We put all these spiritual disciplines in what we call hearing God's voice. That is the, the main bucket that those disciplines fall into, hearing God's voice. But now, for the next few weeks and starting tonight, we're going to move on to what we call having God's ear. So we are in hearing God's voice, and now we're in having God's ear. In other words, we're talking about prayer. And tonight's message will hopefully just be the beginning to give you some footing as to how to go about uh, tackling prayer in your own life and, and how to grow in it. Because I'm going to admit to you, uh, I have never personally preached a, a full message on prayer. I've not done it, and I'll tell you, it's, it's uh, not because I haven't had the opportunity, um, but it's because I'm not fantastic at it, right? It's, it's something that is a weakness in my own spiritual life often, and, you know, it's, it's hard to, to feel up and ready to teach on something that you feel so much is a weakness at times in your life. I, I'm not great at it. I'm not even close to good at it sometimes, right? Um, but I, I want to be better. I want to continue being better. And I have times in my life where I am a lot better at it. But I want to continue growing into it. And my guess is that that you do too. My guess is that you also want to grow in prayer. And and so as we dive into this tonight, I just want to say this. I want you to receive this message as from a man who has not achieved something amazing and is looking back and shouting to you the directions on on how to get better. I want you to receive this message as, as from a man who's seeking himself to get better at it who has been studying it and researching it and in God's word about it and just wants to share with you the moment of the journey that he's on, right? So I'm, I'm alongside you in that. And, and that's what we're doing as we get together tonight. We're coming alongside one another and we're going to learn about prayer. We're going to look in God's word to understand it better. And particularly tonight, I want to understand um, what could be called the postures of prayer or what we're calling tonight the hearts of prayer. That's, that's the message is the, fa- or the, the four hearts of of prayer. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to be looking at uh, the most famous prayer in the world, most famous prayer of all time, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. Now how many of you have memorized this? How many, how many of you haven't memorized or, or close enough? How many of you have recited this at church at some point? You've walked into a church in which they have all together recited the Lord's Prayer. Okay, so I knew most of you would have experience with that. Um, And for good reason. Because this prayer, as we're about to see, is the prayer that Jesus told his disciples to pray. This is the, the model that we gave. And so if we're going to be looking at ways to pray better and ways to grow in our discipline of prayer, this would be logically a good place to start, right? Like, let's get to the words of Jesus himself as to how to pray. Now, if you were with us this past school year, uh, you'll remember on St. Patty's Day, we actually had Pastor Garth come in and he preached a message on prayer. Um, I'm going to tell you, it was an awesome message. It was a fantastic message on prayer Um, And so uh, I want to give you the ability to hear that. And I want to let you know that a lot of what I'm going to say continues from what he preached um, about, you know, because he preached verses leading up right before the Lord's Prayer. So if you're looking there in Matthew chapter 6, 
verse 5 there through verse 8. That's what Garth preached last time he was here. And so I want to give you a chance to listen to it. So tomorrow morning, if, if you're subscribed to our podcast, um, Center Committed Confident, we have the name on the screen if you want to see it to remember it. But if you're subscribed to our podcast tomorrow morning, we're going to release a podcast where I introduce it and then it's Garth's message so that you get a chance to re-listen to it. So you get a chance to sort of hear how he set it up and see how it connects tonight. So, and if you need help finding that on Apple or Spotify, just let me know afterwards. Um, I'll get you connected. But um, make sure you take advantage of listening to that as we're starting to turn for this next month to focus on prayer. Because his message was called Pray Like Jesus. Verses 5 through 8, Pray Like Jesus. And I'm not going to go through all of it. I'm just going to tell you what his points were because they're important for tonight. He said, if you're going to pray like Jesus, you need to do three things. You need to pray secretly. You need to pray simply. And you need to pray sincerely. I'll say that again. Pray secretly. Pray simply. And pray sincerely. Pray secretly as in don't make a big show about it. Right? Don't draw attention to yourself when it comes to prayer. Like don't do prayer for other people. This is the part where Jesus goes alone into a room. Right? That's pray secretly. Pray simply as in don't put a lot of stock in the words themselves. Right? The amount of times that you say something doesn't give it more power. But rather focus on the heart of what you're praying. Powerful words do not create a more powerful prayer. Powerful words do not create a more powerful prayer. And last was pray sincerely, as in come to God in sincerity. Be like a child who comes to him. Like be honest in your feelings and thoughts towards him. I think all of you probably at some point have interactions with a child where they've said something that's so simple and so funny because they say it just how it is. Like that gets the heart of it. Like say something sincerely and say how it is and just get to the heart of the matter and the heart of your relationship with the Lord. Now that's that's a really quick summary. You can check out the rest on the podcast. But that sets us up for tonight. So let's look together at the, the Lord's Prayer. Right after Jesus said all those things, he actually gets into what he says we should pray like. So look there at verse 9 with me. Chapter 6, verse 9. I'm going to read the whole prayer. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts. As we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses. Your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses. Neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So. You really think about it. This seems sort of odd in the context of what I just talked about. I mean, Jesus literally, like verses before that, just said that praying isn't about the words we use. Just said that there's not specific prayer or specific power in the words that we choose to use. And then he gives his disciples a specific prayer to pray. So do you, you start seeing how it's just a little odd that Jesus would say not to do something, then he gives them something to do. And so we need to sort of figure out what's going on here. Like why did Jesus do this? What's the point of giving us this structure of prayer? Because 
I mean, let's, let's be honest. When we have something like this and it's something that we can just say over and over, we lose sincerity, right? When it's something that just becomes rote, something that we say time in and time out, like your prayer before dinner, maybe your prayer before bed, it becomes something that's part of your mouth but not part of your heart. So even just the fact that we have something that we could repeat could decrease the sincerity. And how many times have you done something like that? How many times have you done something so much that it just becomes habit rather than an actual act of sincerity? I'm sure more times than you care to admit, I know more times than I care to admit. So, why did Jesus do this? Why did he go over it? There's three, there's three options I want to give you tonight. The first one, some preachers would tell you that the Lord's Prayer is given as a guidepost, right? Like, here's, here's sort of like the general guide on how we should pray. Meaning, like, first we start with adoration, like, our God, hallowed be your name. And then we start with his will, right? So adoration, will, and then we get to our needs. Like, they'll preach to you that we should follow the route of the Lord's Prayer every single time that we pray. And I'll say, like, that's not bad. Right? Like certainly it's not bad to worship God every time you pray. It's not bad to ask for his will to happen every single time that you pray. Like those are not in essence bad things. In fact, like let's be honest, even if we did that every single day, that's more than what half of us are doing in prayer already. Right? To ask for the Lord to be glorified, to ask for his will to be done, and then present our needs it's probably more than many of us are already doing. So that, that's an option. And, and it, it, it's a good option. And it may be even a right option. But there's other beliefs on this passage too. The second one is that Jesus wants us to use these exact words. Because these exact words are, are good things to, to pray for. And to that I say, also maybe. Right? Also could be a, a, a good option. I don't think this one is as good of an option for a few reasons. One, if you look there in verse 9, Jesus says, pray like this. He doesn't say, pray this. Like, the word he uses is not a command as to, like, exact replication. It's a model. So that, that's one part as to why that may not be the best. Um, and the past, past like several verses, they show us that this idea of repeating something over and over without sincerity is wrong. Right? So that's where the tension that we were talking about begins with the Lord's prayer. So I, I say maybe. Maybe that is an option. Um, certainly, once again, if we say it with sincerity, is it a bad thing? No, of course not. If we're saying this prayer with sincerity, how can it be bad? How can it be bad to pray for those things? So that's the second option. But the option that I want to talk about tonight and the one that I, I want to propose to you, I think incorporates all the previous verses that we were just talking about. Like incorporates Pastor Garth's message. Incorporates the Lord's Prayer. And it's certainly a biblical option. Now I'd like to propose to you tonight that the Lord's Prayer are about the hearts of prayer. Or postures of prayer. I think it's about the, the types of prayers that we should have. I'd like to propose to you that when Jesus says pray like this, he literally means like pray in this type of fashion. 
Pray with these types of, of passion. Pray with these things on your mind. And so tonight, I want to share with you four hearts of prayer that I believe are found in the Lord's Prayer. And after we read it together and go through it together, I think you're going to see that they are indeed there. And we're going to use these hearts over the next few weeks to check the health of our own prayers. To check the health of our spiritual life. All right, so with that really long intro out of the way and set up, let's actually get into the text now and see what we can see in this. And the first one, the first heart that we're going to cover is that we should, if we're going to pray like Jesus, and we're going to pray how he says, we should pray with a worshipful heart. That's the first one. Pray with a worshipful heart. Look back at at verse uh, 9 there. Jesus says, pray like this. And then what's the first thing? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be made holy. So Jesus is literally telling his disciples that when they pray, they should pray with a heart that wants to bring worship to God. They should pray with a heart that wants to glorify him. They should pray with a heart that literally wants to hallow his name. And I love that this is the first like heart of prayer in this, because right away, this should give us a reality check. Right at the beginning of our prayer, we should have a reality check about our intentions of why we're praying. It should challenge us to get out of our own minds, out of our own circumstances, and give glory where glory is due. In fact, this heart is just a challenge to us to make sure that we're fulfilling the purpose of what we're called to do. You've heard me say it before. You're going to hear me say it again. But we have been created for a very specific reason. Like we have a reason on this earth. And all other reasons for our life fit under this reason. And that is to glorify God. I'm going to have it here on the screen. Isaiah 43, 6 through 7. Just to show you what I'm talking about. Isaiah is is, is speaking on behalf of God. This is God's word to God's people. And God says, I will say to the north, give up. And to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. Whom I formed and made. God is saying that the people who belong to him the people who are his, the people who he has formed and has made, that applies to you, that applies to me. God is saying that if that applies to you, then you have been made what? For his glory. So right away, this heart of prayer should check our perspective. Like when you are going to pray, I want you to ask the question, who am I trying to glorify in this prayer? Like, who am I trying to glorify in this prayer? Am I trying to glorify myself? Am I trying to make myself look good? That's the heart behind praying secretly, right? We don't want to make ourselves look good. We want to just give the glory to to God and not receive any for ourselves. Like, am I trying to appear more holy? Am I praying because I just want to be a better disciple? It's not wrong to want to like, be a better disciple of Jesus. But am I doing it because I think I'm just stacking on to my own righteousness and stacking on to my own holiness. And then every time I do this, I'm just going to be better and I'm just going to look better. Well, reality check, 
That's not glorifying God in your prayer. That's glorifying yourself. That's building yourself up. So the question is, where is the glory really being given? Because we know where it should be given, right? To God. And so this prayer starts out with worship. God, be made glorious. God, let your glory be revealed. Like, do you have that heart? Do you desire to worship God simply because of his holiness? Simply because he is hallowed. Simply because you've been created to do that. And I know, like, I'm a worship pastor, right? Like, every single Sunday, I get to stare at God's people while they worship. Like, it's my charge to lead them in congregational worship. And I can tell you, time in and time out, it's hard to get there sometimes. I see it on people's faces. I see it in their lives. It's hard sometimes even just to sing to God because we're not in the right place. How much more when it comes to praying? How much more to something that we have almost no accountability to those around us in? How much more when we don't have somebody leading us in prayer every single Sunday morning for a half hour at a time? Let this just be a, a reality check. Like the first uh, heart of, of our prayer is, is a worshipful heart. You know, we see this in the Gospel of Luke too. Like the woman that falls down at Jesus' feet at the dinner party. You guys know what I'm talking about? I preached it a little bit. And if you're in youth group, I actually preached it there too. But this is in Luke. It's on the screen as well. Luke 7, 44. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, this is Jesus. Do you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. The reason I bring this up is because the, to the extent in which you understand that a hallowed God, to the extent in which you understand that a glorified God forgave you, an unhallowed sinner, right? An unglorified sinner. Like to the extent that you understand exactly what he did for you is the extent in which you're going to want to worship him. Like Jesus says it right there, right? She loves much because she has been forgiven much. And he who does not love much has not been forgiven much. Your desire to worship, your love for Christ, is directly related to your understanding of how forgiven you are. Directly related to your relationship with him. And so I bring all this up simply as a way for you to begin checking your heart when it comes to prayer. Do you have this worshipful heart? And if you don't, if you're having a hard time, think of this woman in this passage. What's the key to growing our love for God? What's the key for growing our desire to worship him? To begin focusing on the way that he has forgiven us. To come back to that. To allow that to increase our love and our desire to worship. So that's the first one, right? First one is uh, pray with a worshipful heart. And I told you if that's a hard thing to do, start focusing on the way he's forgiven you. And that should start increasing that heart in prayer. We'll have more time to do that over the next few weeks to come. Let's hit into the second heart of prayer. And that is pray with an expectant heart. Pray with an expectant Heart, Sort of a weird word, but I'll show you what I mean. Let's look back at verse 10 here. So after the hallowed be your name, Jesus says, 
Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want you to mull over those words for a minute. Think about them. And I want you to realize that those words are not said out of obligation. The idea behind them is not that you're like, well, God, I guess you should probably have your way. Well, God, I know I'm supposed to pray this, so go ahead, do your thing. No, these, these words come from a heart that is expectant of what God can and will do. Expectant of a good God with a good will who will do good things. Like this prayer is given with the idea that if you truly believe in this holy God, if you truly believe in this hallowed God, you want him working in the world. If you really believe he is who he says he is, not only a God who knows what is good, but a God who does good, then you want him to work. And the reason this part of prayer is important is because we often come to God with our own agenda, right? Like we have things that we want to see done. Now, there's a spot for that in prayer. Like there's, there's a spot for us to come to God and say the things that we would love to see done. And actually we're going to get to that in just a minute. Um, but there's a point in which we can take it too far. In which we can take our desires and our will way too far in prayer. And the point of this heart of prayer is to make sure that we don't. The point of this heart of prayer is that while we can and should come to the Lord with specific needs, we first need to make sure that His will is what we want done. We first need to make sure that His will is what we desire, not just our own. Like, to bring our own desires is completely great, but only in balance of desiring His will above all. You know, uh, the Apostle John was here, like in this moment when Jesus is teaching about this, the Apostle John was there listening to it. Like he learned from Jesus how to pray. And in First John, this is on the screen as well, he says this, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Look at that caveat. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Like, take it from someone that was there when Jesus taught the Lord's Prayer. That part of praying for the things that we desire and the things we need is praying according to God's will. So how do you know God's will? Each one of these, right? I want to set up the heart for you and then I want to help you get better at it. So how do you know what God's will is in order to pray for it? This is how you know it. You know it through His Word. You know it through His Spirit. And you know it through His church. That is how you're going to know the will of God, through his word, through his spirit, through his church. Like, how do you have a healthy prayer life? Well, you can't have a healthy prayer life if you aren't in God's word. You can't have a healthy prayer life if you aren't among God's people. You can't have a healthy prayer life if you aren't leaning on God's spirit. Like, don't fool yourself in thinking that you have a healthy prayer life and you're praying according to God's will if you never do anything to put yourself within God's will. If you never do anything to put yourself to where you're hearing God's will, you're never going to know God's will because you're not going to recognize it when it's spoken. We can become so desensitized to the will of God when all we do is spend time outside of it. 
and hear it preached from a thousand feet away. So if the second heart is to come with an expectant heart, expectant for the Lord to do his will, and you're not good at that and need help with that, you need to get in the Lord's will. And you need to know it, you need to understand it, you need to hear it. Spend time in the word, spend time with his people. Spend time leaning on the spirit through prayer itself, right? So that's the second heart. Here's the third. And we get it from verses 11 and 13. This is going to jump just a little bit, but I promise it's going to make sense. I promise we're going to come back to verse 11. But look at verses 11 and 13 there. Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. 13, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This brings our third heart of prayer, which is pray with a dependent heart. Worshipful, expectant, dependent. Pray with a dependent heart. And I want to start this point with a question. Look at these verses again in your, in, your, in your Bible. 11 and 13. In these two verses, I want to ask, who is the causal agent of them? Like, who is the one who is asked to do something? Who would be the one that needs to take action for these things to happen? The answer is God. Right? God, for sure. He's the one. who, Like in verse 11, he's the one who would be supplying the daily bread. In verse 13, he's the one who would be delivering. He's the one who would be protecting. So when looking at these two verses, what do they reveal about the heart of the person that is praying? They reveal that they are dependent upon God. Dependent upon not only his will... To not only be hallowed and made more holy, but they are dependent upon God for both their physical needs and they are dependent upon God for their spiritual needs. Like physical, that's what daily bread is. It like literally means the things that are given to you for the necessity of life. And then when you're like praying to not be tempted and be protected from evil, like those are spiritual battles. Like the person who has a dependent heart is depending upon God for both the physical and the spiritual. So when you come to pray, when you come before God, the idea is that you would be completely dependent upon him for all aspects of life. That when you seek him in prayer, that you're not doing it in your own strength. That you would not be expecting the answers to, pray, uh, to the prayer to come because of something you did. But rather that you are dependent upon God being the one who will truly bring the provision. And I want to give you an example here about the nuances and the differences, right? Because there's this sort of weird tension between like, well, I'm going to pray for God to do something, and I want him to do something in my life, and I want his will to be done. But have you guys ever heard that joke about the guy that's like drowning at sea, right? And like a boat comes, and they're like, you know, we're here to save you. And he's like, no, I'm waiting on God to come save me. And then like a second boat comes, like, no, I'm waiting on God to come save me, right? And then the man drowns, and he's like, God, why didn't you save me? And God's like, I sent you three boats. What are you talking about, right? Like, there's this weird tension between, like, we pray for things, but at what point does it depend on us to also do some things? So I, I want to give you this example to, just, to help you think about it. Um, let's say that um, my son, AJ, uh, wants a cookie, and he can't reach it. Let's say it's on the counter, right? Wants a cookie, he can't reach it, uh, so, so he asked me. If any of you know AJ, this is straight up something he would do, right? Option one, he asked me for it. Option one, I hold him up, like I pick him up, and I allow him to grab the cookie 
himself, right? In this situation, who is he dependent upon for it to happen? Me, right? Like he's dependent upon me to pretty much do the entire work for him. I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to lean him forward. I'm going to let him grab it. And I'm going to bring it down. And on top of that, I'm the one that said yes in the first place, right? He was dependent upon me to even allow him to do it. So that's option one. Option two, I tell him yes. He can go get it. I hand him the step stool or tell him where it is. I teach him how to use it. He gets up and grabs the cookie. In this situation, who is he dependent on? I'd still say me. Right? Because he's depending not only upon my will to say yes, but upon my active working in his life to provide for him. Right? I didn't just provide the cookie. I provided the means to him to get to that cookie. Option three. AJ asks for the cookie. And without waiting for an answer, grabs the step stool, climbs it, gets the cookie, shoves it in his mouth before I have a chance to answer. That's probably the more realistic. Like, <laughs> he literally, like, as we were, this is not in my message, I'm so sorry. But as we were, like, getting ready for this thing right here, Brittany asked me, she's like, is it okay if the kids play in the play place? And, like, literally before the words yes came out of my mouth, AJ starts running towards the play place, right? He's like, so ready. Anyway, that's got me thinking. That's option three, right? In that situation, who is he being dependent upon? Himself. He's being dependent upon himself. So in, in both of the first two options, while I may have handled them differently, AJ was dependent upon me. And even if he ended up doing some of the work himself, even if he had to do some of those things himself, he was still dependent upon me. But in that third situation, he was dependent upon himself and all he was doing was giving me lip service, right? All he was doing, he was honoring me with his lips but not with his actions. He said what he knew he was supposed to say, but he did absolutely nothing that he should have done. And this is often what we do in prayer. We ask God for something. We give that lip service, right? Like we say we're dependent with the full intention that we're going to do it ourselves anyways. Rather than asking him for something and trusting either for a literal miracle, right? That first option might be considered a literal miracle where I, I picked him up and I intervened in the situation. Like we might be depending on a, lyrical, a literal miracle or we might be depending upon guidance from him in accomplishing it. What I'm saying is that the actions that God chooses to take in accomplishing our prayer shouldn't matter to us, right? Like how God chooses to go about answering them should not be the reason that we're asking and should not be the heart behind why we're asking him in the first place. Like when you come to God, do you come with a truly dependent heart, ready to hear his answer and seek his will in accomplishing it, whether it's through divine inspiration or, or, or divine intervention, or are you just ready to do it yourself and say that you prayed to him about it? Clearly, you can, you can see how deep this goes, right? As you're selecting your college major, as you're selecting your relationship choices, who to date, what friends to have, as you're selecting your career choices, and so many more things that we would say we ask God and we would say we're dependent upon him, but we actually didn't care. Guys, the answer to the question isn't actually what we should be concerned with. It's the actual motivation behind asking the question. You will know if you're actually dependent upon the Lord. The Spirit will reveal that. His Word will reveal it. All right, that's the third heart. And the next heart 
It's our last one. Look back at uh, verse 12 um, and verses 14 and 15. These are all together. So Jesus says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 14 and 15, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Guys, the, the, the fourth and final heart of prayer is, is pray with a repentant heart. Pray with a repentant heart. Like Psalm 24 is going to be on the screen here. Psalm 24, David is writing about worship and communing with God. That's what worship is, right? It's communing with God and ascribing to him the glory to his name. And he says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? So that's to be with God. He who has what? Clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Keep that in your mind for a sec. Let's see in Isaiah 6. Isaiah stands in the throne room of God, literally again, communing with God, right? Like we're talking about being with God in his presence. So this is connected to prayer. And Isaiah, when he's in the presence of God, says, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Like he's looking upon God and he's realizing, like, I'm a worm. I am nothing. Like, God is so holy, he's so hallowed, and I am not. And what does God do there in verse 6 in that passage? Then one of the seraphim, flaming angels, they're pretty cool, seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar, and he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away. And don't miss, and your sin atoned for. And then he's able to stand with God. And then he's able to be with God. And then he's able to actually receive the calling. Like if you continue reading Isaiah 6, like Lord's like, who will go for me? And Isaiah's like, please, like send me God. I'll go for you. Like then Isaiah is able to do the will of God. Then he's able to accomplish that mission. But it's not until he realizes his need for forgiveness. And he is forgiven like these passages show us that in order to be intimate with God in order to stand in his presence in order to approach him we must be repentant because that's what it means to have clean hands and a pure heart like for Christians it means that we seek forgiveness and repentance towards Christ. That's how we have clean hands and pure hearts. Like that whole idea of Isaiah having the cold touch to his lips. Like we get that and it's through Christ and it's through confession and repentance towards him and his forgiveness of our sins. Now you're going to say, but Cody, like Christ already atoned for my sins. Right? Christ already did this. So why do I need to repent if I'm already forgiven? And to that I say, yes, yes, you're right. You have already been forgiven. But to that I would also say, that repentance is not a one-time event. Repentance is an ongoing posture. Repentance is an ongoing posture of life. And that can be clearly seen by the fact that Jesus is telling his disciples, right? They're called disciples. You know what disciple means? Follower and student of Christ. He's talking to the men who have already devoted their lives to him, already following him, and will, as we see, continue to change the world for him. He's talking to them, those who already believe. 
And what is he saying? That in their prayers, they are to say, forgive us our debts. Forgive us our sins. As we forgive others. That proves right there that it's an active thing that needs to be done. And I think it's a felt need. I don't think I need to talk too much about it for you to know the truth and for you to feel that there are often times that your sin get in the way of your communion with God. That actively, when you're in unrepentant sin, it puts a barrier between you and God. You can feel it. If you walk with God, you know it. So, that fourth and, and final heart is to, to pray with a repentant heart. And, it, and if you need to grow in that, like guys, this is the easiest one. Like out, of, out of these ones that we've listed, like worshipful heart, expectant heart, dependent heart, like repentant heart is, is the easiest one. If you need to grow in that, the answer is just do it. Get on your knees somewhere alone in your room tonight. Sit in your car and just confess to him. Just confess to him what you've done, what you need forgiveness for. Just find that place of coming back to clean hands and pure heart so that you can commune with God. It's not often that the actual message is just, just do it, right? But this one, it actually is. Go home and do that, and that's how you can have a repentant heart. So those are the four hearts of prayer that we see here in this passage. 10,000 foot view, totally a lot more we could cover, but that's it for tonight. Here's what we're going to do over the next couple weeks. We're going to work on growing into these, giving you guys opportunities to have them, and going through scriptures that talk about these things that further cement all the things I laid out here and that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer. So let me pray for us. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the opportunity that we've had to worship you, to be in your word, to seek you, Lord. I pray that you would help us follow these four hearts, Lord. That they would just be checkpoints for our life with you and when it comes to prayer. I pray, Father, that as I've just sort of listed what needs to be done, that over the, la- the next few weeks, you would help us grow in those things, Lord. And they wouldn't just be kind of checklists. They wouldn't just be things that we're making sure we have right. But, Lord, they would be desires of our own heart. And that we, for the rest of our lives, would continue in these spiritual disciplines to to grow in these things. Lord, to to have your ear is an amazing thing. And as we focus on prayer over the next few weeks, would you teach us just how amazing it is that you allow us to pray to you, that you actually do things on our behalf, that you actually listen to the prayers of your people. Lord, increase our awe and wonder of what it means to pray. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.